Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're talking to Michael and we're going to talk about what a fintech company like his can do for freelancers. A lot of people these days are becoming freelancers, sometimes by choice, sometimes by necessity. But in any case, it's a growing trend and it's here to stay, I'm pretty sure. So let's talk about fintech and freelancers. Welcome, Michael. How are you today? Great, Rudy. Thank you for having me a part of the program. It's great to be here. Great stuff. So we chatted before we pushed the record button that you based in Puerto Rico. I envy you and the weather, of course. What's your background? What led you to what you do today? I I started building software and selling it, uh, trying to on TV years and years ago. And when I finally got success selling programs and infomercials, short form infomercial, I realized that most of the work I had to do was managing and dealing with the payments. And I really found that fascinating, building systems to manage payments and payment flexibility, which sounds nerdy, and it 100% is. Fast forward a few years uh, after the economic crash of 2008, I didn't really feel it till 2009, like the end of 2009. And then I found I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I kind of stepped back and decided to write a book about everything I learned about payments and talk about trends. Uh, I ended up writing two books one on electronic payments, one on uh, digital currency back when I think Bitcoin was like $25 when I started writing. I think if I actually invested in Bitcoin and held it uh, for for the amount of money that I spent writing the book, I'd probably be a billionaire, but that's okay. I really enjoyed writing the book. After the economic crash, I had a subscription billing platform that I was really proud of, but personal issues, business issues, the economy itself, everything was crashing and I, I almost had to walk from the company and I had a big swanky office and 50 people. And I'd like to say it was the full Michael Scott. I would go in, we had the Halloween party, the Christmas party. We tried to build a company culture and that all got wrecked. And I had to do the painful thing of letting just about everybody go except for a very small team. And we all worked from home, which was weird. It was like, I couldn't even afford an office at the time. And it was very painful. And I almost just let the company go, but, uh, my the guy who's now the the managing partner of that company he convinced me to to go online and find a freelancer developer that can keep the business going that because he knew things were going to change he's a great friend of mine my, my friend Bezad Sharifi and so i said okay man we'll try <laughs> it just broke my thinking he jumped in the quality of the work went up even after letting go of uh, like about 10 developers the quality of the work went up the stress went down, the system got more stable, things got a lot better. And he's still the CTO of that company. And Bezad Buzz is is running the business and it's thriving and doing really well. A few years after the crash, I got things back on our feet. Uh, it was a couple years and we, we got stable and I'm like, wow, okay. I'm not managing the subscription billing company anymore. 
what would I do when I was 36 at the time? What would I do if I wanted to commit the rest of my life to one business? And like, I like working. I think I can work till I'm about 76. That's 40 years. And I'm like, yeah, I could commit to 40 years. And what am I going to do? You're going to turn 65 and then all of a sudden stop. I want to be actively doing something for the rest of my life. I enjoy it. And so it just hit me. I was like, I, I've got to be in this business where we can access all this talent all around the world. And up until that point, after we brought on who's now the CTO of that company, I started testing out workers for other things and made some mistakes, made lots of mistakes, had some bumps and bruises, but ultimately it was a lot better. And we were able to get a lot of things done and make friends around the world and enjoy truly getting to know people. And it didn't just help us get more work done and, and what have you. It, I felt like we were more worldly and we had a more worldly culture. And I really liked that. And I try to bring that to Golance where we try to bring a worldly culture because you, you can tap some amazing people when you're working with freelancers all around the world. But there's so many benefits that I don't think the average eye sees. They're like, here's some work, get it done, thanks, goodbye. But when you can bring someone in that, say, is in Zurich and you're in Puerto Rico, you get an entirely dif different perspective on, on what you're trying to build. And sometimes, oftentimes, it, it, it's extremely valuable. Let's start also with the big picture, because there is a big debate uh, coming out of pandemic about future of work, right? And uh, you look at the incumbents and their management is trying to get everybody back in the office. People maybe don't want to as much. At the same time, that uh, percentage of work done by freelancers, I'm sure it's growing uh, versus the full-time jobs. And uh, so it's a crossover of remote and on-site freelancers and full-time jobs. How do you see the future work when we look at those dimensions? Yeah, I can't understand why people are trying to wrangle people back into an office. The first question I ask, would ask is, what's productivity look like? I fell in love the other way. I found that me being in the office, as unfortunate of a reality as it, as it was more destructive. Me seeing the same people every day and having that type of culture by and large, was more destructive and did more damage than it did good. Giving people a well-articulated plan, well-articulated objectives, and arm's distance, almost decentralized work, I think we could use that on-trend term, that showed to be extremely more powerful in accomplishing results. I get there are some people that are clinging on to that old way. And look, maybe it may, maybe it makes sense for them and their culture and their business. I see it going the other way. I, I, and when it comes to full-time versus freelance, and you mentioned some of the benefits that you can access the, also at the same time being remote, you can access the best talent out there in the world versus full-time. But I think the issue is also sometimes there's just not enough work for full time. And maybe that role needs 10 skills or 20 tasks and you don't have that much work. So you cannot hire somebody full time. It doesn't make sense. But the freelancer would be a good solution. In other words, just chopping that job into task level, right? Yeah. And it gives the freelancer more freedom to work with who they want. 
And not everybody wants to work with the same people all day. They want to have a certain variety and flexibility because they're like, hey, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm learning some fun stuff with this project. The, one of the challenges is bringing somebody on, um, having especially technical people and developers. Like they get bored. Of, like It's like the old commercial, Dunkin' Donuts commercial. It's like time to make the donuts. People don't want to do that. They don't want to show up, clock in, and be at the same kind of boring, I don't even want to say boring, but the same process day in, day out. They want to work with other people because that's how they learn. And people are figuring that out. But other people really like it. They like to come in. They like that security. I think it's not necessarily the work or the job. It's making a relationship with high quality people that you can depend on and treating them fairly and treating them well regardless of where they are in the world, regardless of, of the economic geo disadvantage. So you mentioned your company's name, GoLens. So what does GoLens provide and why is GoLens what freelancers need? So we're a freelance marketplace. We're a two-sided marketplace and we're one of the smaller ones, but we're growing. And what we found is that uh, we go out and we try to really have more of a one-on-one -on -one approach with the freelancers that we can understand their value and try to help them get whether it's working with us sometimes we have them do work for us on projects or we have them work with other people and we get clients some that post jobs some that just ring up our people and say hey i need somebody that does this can you get me somebody right away and we try to cut through all the red tape and go okay yeah you need about 20 hours a week look we have somebody who's really good he's finishing up something why don't you talk with him and so we, we really try at this point to to have a more hands-on approach and getting to know people. And it's a real joy when we've seen GoLance accounts, people's GoLance account make more than a million dollars. So what are the, some of the pain points that you've noticed that uh, freelancers have and how can solution, fintech solutions like smart contracts or digital currencies or different ways of payments help? So co cost is direct is directly related to culture. The biggest pain point that freelancers have, and it's top of mind for them, is if you go to a platform and they're taking, say, 20% from you and 5% from the client, like it just, it starts to drag them down. And maybe they don't feel so bad at the beginning, but after years of work, they're like, why are we doing this? Why does this make sense? And then one of the ways you've got, and this typically affects the people that, that, need the money the most is if they're in these harder to reach corridors that are where they typically make less money, they're more dependent on fast payments. Fast payments is a very important one. So building up that trust to get payments fast is important, but it's there's the cost of conversion or the cost to support electronic payments in those areas are get to be very high. And we have seen industry counterparts, not going to name them, but we have seen in discussions and we've understood that they, they don't make it easy and they take advantage of situations like that. Our, our focus has always been to drive that cost down and drive quality up. Quality of relationship first. The way smart contracts are dealing with that, I think we're a ways away. If, if we're working with a digital asset contract, how is that going to help somebody out there in their own local currency? Right now, it, it's still a, a bit of the wild west. How the future is going to be, I can't quite see. But if there are more ways, more merchants 
more ways to buy things with digital assets, which looks like is what's happening, that is going to cut down on a lot of the cost. That's going to cut down on a lot of the money exchange fees. And that's going to make things a lot easier for people working around the world to keep more of their money. Okay, understood. So basically, you mentioned really the fees that uh, the platforms take from the freelancers. But I also mentioned that your key selling point is relationships, focusing on quality. But generally, when people talk about driving the cost down, they talk about automation. So how do you distinguish from your competitors? How are you different and how can you get the cost down where they cannot? So I think in payment, so there's cost and value, right? So the value from a payments infrastructure, a support infrastructure, and from a personability infrastructure, I think we're better. Um, from their recommendation engines and their profiles and their automation, right now we have work to do and we are rapidly doing it. We're, we're, it's not just on our roadmap, it's an everyday conversation pushing that ball forward. But I think that all the other platforms are going to recognize at some point that we all exist to serve our community and not the other way around. So just as a simple differentiator, we've had two price drops. I, I am vehemently against fees to bid on jobs, right? Like that, that to me is that's antithetical to my spirit. I don't ever want to charge somebody looking for a job ever. I think it's bad. And that's something that I've learned throughout this time. If, if somebody's, especially you're charging somebody the same amount to bid on a job, that's $75 an hour that somebody's bidding on a job that's $5 an hour. And it's almost to a point of cruelty. So I, I, I try to encourage people to apply themselves. Like you've got to actually show up and, and put your best face on. So on our roadmap, it's Dude, you've got to look the best. You got to have a video. You've got to show that you actually can perform this job. I don't want to clutter a client's inbox with unqualified talent. So if I can say, I don't want to charge you a penny to try to work with somebody, but I am going to have you put in effort to make sure you look the best and you're showing up the best. And that I think is going to break down walls. Other than that, even though we've done two price drops already, we don't discuss fees going up at all and different ways that we can make money. We look at growing our business and lowering our cost. Increasing value and lowering our cost is core to our, our business. Right now, we're the lowest cost platform. We intend to be lower because I think that's going to take the space. I think that's what is going to be in demand. So more value, lower cost. And when you have a 40-year vision, which I'm Eight years in, you can have those long-term views. Sounds great. Now, I've noticed that many founders these days, they, when they have an idea, they want to start a platform. You know, obviously, huge success cases out there, so very attractive, right? Your platform business is a two-sided marketplace, as you mentioned. Can you sh give people some advice? How did you overcome a code start problem? At some point, you just had an idea. You didn't have a platform with both freelancers and the, the clients on the other side. So which side of the platform did you prioritize? How did you take off? You're talking about the chicken or the egg. You yeah. can't get the clients without the freelancers. You can't get the freelancers without the clients. Exactly. Well, I went out recruiting and I'd worked with a lot of great people for a long time. And I knew their quality and I got a lot of people saying, hey, I need help here. I need help there. So I focused on clients. I focused on clients getting them quality people and bringing quality people to them when I could. And I just asked that they work through the platform. 
So it just starts with one client. It starts with one freelancer. When you know you're working with someone good, you go find someone that needs that support. When you find a good quality client needs support, you go find someone that's good and quality that can support it. And I, I would stress the, the quality, both in the client and the freelancer, because that matters. And we've reluctantly and painfully, especially in our early days, we've turned down clients that were like me. <laughs> so we, we looked at what we call now the, the sickness of the industry, which I think is just about cured. It's where, especially in the early days of these freelance platforms, the mindset would be, oh, I'll just find someone in a, a poor region of the world and I'll pay them nothing and they'll do whatever I want and they'll build me a website and uh, I'll pay them nothing per hour. It's a huge loss for everybody. They get something to do, but they don't get to satisfy their client. They're going to say whatever they have to because their need is to feed their family. They, they have to provide and they're going to say whatever they want. And we've put a, here's the way you get there. Here's the prove it model. Here's how we can qualify you. And spending that extra time with people that meet, we try to automate as much of the pre-qualify as possible. We're continuing on that, adding tests, cognitive tests, creativity tests, not just specific skills tests, and then profile completeness, not just simple profile completeness, but really putting in genuine effort adding to the value of the platform. When somebody puts in that time and attention and they really put their best foot forward, I'm in debt to that person and I owe them an opportunity to find a good job. So it sounds like you focus on both. You focus on quality, on the long-term view. Yes. Frankly, if I were really selfish and I want to throw in some buzzwords here, it sounds like you understand what the net promoter score is because every successful match brings you more but you cannot be transactional. You are more relationship driven and have a long-term view. And that's your key to success, right? That's how I would translate what you just said. Thank you. That's, that's no. very true. And then the more things we can do to build automation in that process, we're going to do because we, we really want to help as many people as we can. What's the technology behind your solution? Is there anything that you would like to highlight? that is different from the other platforms? Or is there something where you think people shouldn't spend too much time because it doesn't really matter and what matters is building a business and a marketplace? I would say modularizing is the most important. That allows for, for flexibility in building any platform. So you don't want to build one big monstrosity. You want to modularize things. We're, we, we spend a lot of time discussing the decentralization of the work, decentralization of projects, decentralization of teams, allowing modules to work together, but not having one big massive platform. So in the spirit of decentralization of teams, decentralization of projects is core to our technical growth. And I think it should be anybody building a platform. It's very dangerous and very costly to build one big massive platform. And what you find is when you make a change in one aspect of it, it can affect all types of things down the line. But if you modularize and you take aspects of a platform and you build them even with different teams where they're able to plug into each other, that's been a significant difference. And that's a mistake we've made early on that we've corrected and it's having a huge impact on our ability to grow. And anybody starting up all the platforms of all different types that are starting now are all taking that decentralized approach 
to their own platforms, modularizing their platforms so that it's not one big monstrosity. The UI is different than the backend and so on and so forth. Aspects right. of a platform are built differently and plug into to each other cohesively. And I think that applies for any business. And I think Eric Ries, who wrote uh, Lean Startup uh, book, would be happy about that because I think it's in sync with the Lean Startup methodology or uh, philosophy. Um, now, you mentioned the fees that you charge. How do you make money? So which side of the market do you charge and where else do you make money from? So we don't charge our clients because we try to get high quality clients. We charge the freelancer uh, 795% and that's it. That's all. But you said you don't charge somebody who's looking for a job. No, we don't charge that. We don't charge our client that is looking to hire people. We try to get our freelancers in at a really good rate and we try to keep our costs low. Again, that's we've had so far two price drops. We do see some on the horizon and we think they're going to have a meaningful impact. We're we're pushing for them after our next really big technical update. It's it's not that we want to be the cheapest. We want to increase our value, lower our cost and grow our business. All right, understood. Now how big is your team and where are you based? Because you are in Puerto Rico, you talked about decentralized work. So is your team also in Puerto Rico or are they all around the world? You mentioned some people in different countries. So how does that work all together? Yeah, we have a distributed team around the world. We look for the right person that fits into our culture. We have about 60 people total and we they are all on Golance. They all log in. They all use the time tracker. And that's how we, we eat our own vegetables and our own steak here. So we that's how we manage and work with people. And they the people that we work with like that. I did used to get a lot of time to fly around and, and go there and get to meet people. COVID really hurt that. And it bummed me out for a while because I, I wasn't able to go out and, and really connect with the people I worked with. However, I got to connect with my family more. So I got to experience what our precious amazing freelancers get to experience and building businesses, especially companies like these technology companies like this. I was traveling before COVID like 65, 75% of the time. And my kids just turned 12 and 13 and COVID kind of sat me down and said, uh -uh, stop, you're going to have to go and work the way you have everybody else work. Is there anything that you can recommend in terms of further reading, like a favorite business book. Sometimes people say in our field, everything is changing so much. By the time you publish a book, it's all out of date. But if you look at something timeless, is there a book that you can recommend? Yeah. Um, On the Wings of, by Ken Fawcett. It was about uh, Ross Perot when he was, I think, yeah. one of the richest man in the world. He had two employees that got uh, imprisoned in Iran during the revolution and as a business leader, he hired a team to go break them out of prison, including many of his own employees. He flew in himself on his private jet, walked into the jail where they were being held and said, I'm going to bust you guys out of here. That to me was a heroic story of a heroic leader. I remember when he ran for president in that election between George Bush Sr. and, and Bill Clinton. And, and, but I had no idea that he was a true hero until I read that book. And it's not so much the fundamentals of business, but it's the fundamentals of caring about your people 
and the taking care of the people that take care of you to such an extent that you go to literally the other side of the planet and you risk everything to protect them. And I think that's, that to me is uh, timeless leadership. And so that's, and it's an amazing story and an amazing book. Very interesting. Thank you so much. Now to, to wrap up, I'd like to know what's the best way to reach out and what kind of people would you like to hear from most? Who would be most relevant for you? Well, come to golance.com where we could use, I think we have one client come to us to fill 10, to 10 developer positions. So if you're a good developer, look, we're, you're be a big fish in a small pond. I really do want to help people and I want to help this industry. And I would recommend that anybody across the board diversify not just their client base, but their platform base. Go to all of them and make your best profile. Put everything you have into it uh, and reach out to us. Go to golance.com, ping our little chat support. Hey, I heard the show with, with Rudy and Michael. Just want to send you our profile. Keep me posted and let us do the work. Let us get out there and, and, and connect with you and, and find you the right opportunity. But um, if I was freelancing, I wouldn't relegate myself to any one platform. Um, not right as of yet. I would go and try to find, get my profile out on as many as possible and put the most attention I can into looking the absolute best because I want people to get a good rate. I want them to get paid their value, not their geography. Right. Thank you so much. And good luck to Go Lance and yourself. And of course, for you listening, you can check out the show notes. I'll put the links there so you can find your way to go lands. And uh, if you're a freelancer, you can find a job or the other way around. If you're looking for freelancers all around the world, the best talent you can get. So thank you very much, Michael. And once again, good luck. Thank you, Rudy. Thanks for having me a part of the program. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.